This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. If you have niche clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, BQE Core is the app for them to best manage their firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. Even if you don't have those niche clients, Core is a great tool to use in your own accounting or bookkeeping firm as well. Core is an easy-to-use, all-in-one platform for project management, but includes advanced functionality like budgets, labor costs, forecasting, contract analysis, and approval processes. Core also includes a standalone accounting module. Even though Core is an all-in-one platform, it still works nicely with other apps, offering you and your clients the maximum amount of flexibility. Core offers a full-function mobile app and recently launched a cutting-edge voice-based assistant for your smart speaker of choice. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, how was your Labor Day weekend? Labor Day weekend, I did the most overrated thing ever, Camping? Camping. It's so much work. <laughs> There's more labor involved in that than just working. We should just not have the day off. I, I never go camping. I haven't since I was a kid. Uh, my wife doesn't camp. She's never done it in her life. So at this point, lost cause. But you know, I, I have too many electronics. I don't even know what I would do. Like where'd I? I'd have to get like, like bring a generator or something. You know. Well, everybody has Wi-Fi now at all oh. these campsites everywhere. But the problem is on holiday weekends. There's uh, the volume. Overwhelms right. the network. Everybody's uh, trying to stream, you know, um, The Bachelorette or something like that. I don't know. So what did you do this weekend? So I, I went through my LinkedIn connections, scrubbing them for fake profiles. I don't know if you saw my post last week on LinkedIn. It's crazy. It has like 30,000 views at this point, which is the most people who have ever looked at anything I've ever done, I think, period. Now, are those uh, bot views? Like pe- other bots on LinkedIn that, are like, look, you talked about me. They're <laughs> liking a, the post. That's a good question. Uh, no way to know that for sure. Um, we're going to hope not. Um, this post was about, actually not about bots. I was using the wrong term. I was corrected on Twitter by Chris Hooper, who pointed out that actually these fake profiles are not bots because they are operated by human beings. So they, the appropriate term is sock puppet. So there's a human operating the sock puppet, just like there's a human operating these fake profiles on LinkedIn. I, I, have you ever gotten an invite from one of these, David? So. I wasn't aware until you posted it because um, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it started from first you saw an article on Accounting Web yes. and then you, you, you thought that her image looks familiar and then you checked around and you either did an image search or something, but somehow it turned you on to your LinkedIn, LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Let me back up and tell okay. you how this whole thing yeah. started, right? So part of the job of the Cloud Accounting Podcast being a host is reading everything there is to read online about accounting. So just like you, David, I go on Accounting Web, I go on Journal of Accountancy, Accounting Today, and I'm reading all these articles all the time. And occasionally I get curious. I want to know who is this author? I've never seen this author before. And I was on Accounting Web reading an article called How Accounting Firms Can Overcome Staffing Challenges. Uh, This article, by the way, no longer is online. So if you try clicking the link, you won't find it. It's been taken down. The author of this article was named Annie Marker CPA. It's this very attractive woman with brown hair, beautiful smile. And the photo just looks like too perfect to me. Like nobody's headshot looks like that with like the the black background and every you know it, it looks like a stock photo. And so then I got curious. I clicked on her the link to her profile on Accounting Web, and it which was, makes sense, right? Because in general, you and I know a lot of people in this space. We read lots of the articles. So when you see somebody you don't know, you're like, "Who's that?" And you start right. clicking, right? Okay. Yeah. So I click through, and I see that she's affiliated with this company called. Cognesol, C-O-G-N-E-E-S-O-L, which turns out is this outsourcing firm operating out of India. She's somehow affiliated with them, working with them. And that that stuck in my head because I know that I had, I knew that I had seen that before. And so I went into my LinkedIn connections and I realized I have accepted invites from people working for Cognosol. Five of them? Six of them? It was like, well, there's just one in recent memory. She had connected with me like a week before. Her name, Olivia Morris, CPA. Similar thing where it was like this younger woman, attractive. And, I, you know, I try to weed out 
some of my connection requests. Like I, I can obviously tell who's a business development representative who's going to just immediately spam me and call me. But generally, if they have CPA after their name, I'll just accept the invite. Of right? course, Assuming, CPA, you trust the brand. <laughs> right. So she's connected to me and I go and I look at her profile. This is a big red flag is that the banner image on her LinkedIn profile says benefits of outsourcing. And then it has a diagram that says time savings, benefits from rich experience, focus on business activity, cost savings, excellent support. And underneath Olivia Morris's name, her, what do you call it, subheading says, four years experience in outsourced bookkeeping, reconciliation, manufacturing, retail, and wholesale accounting. She's based in Los Angeles, California with 360 connections. And I have 17 mutual connections with her. And she's in four groups that I'm in. She went to the University of Washington, but the only employment that is listed there is Cognosol, right? Most people tend to have- it's that same date range, I think. I've looked at a couple of these. They all have that. They all start uh, November of 2015, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, right? So a very promotional LinkedIn banner. I guess if she was working for them, that would be possible. But then the only company that she's ever worked for is Cognosol. And all of her posts are super spammy. I went into her post history and it all just looks like auto-generated spammy stuff. Linking to other articles. Right. So now I've got two suspicious profiles that are connected to the same company. We've got Annie Marker who looks like a stock photo. And then we've got Olivia Morris. Now her photo looks like a selfie, right? But then I looked at the photo, I examined it more closely and it looks like, like somebody took it in their car. She's smiling. I'm like, I don't know. Like this is weird, right? Seem like very young, too young to be a CPA. So I, I did something that I don't often do is I downloaded the photos, right? I, cl- I right clicked, downloaded both profile photos and I ran them through Google image search. And so, just to, 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 this is not a common thing. I asked how, I didn't even know how to do it. I had to ask you for help. <laughs> yeah. So I've only done this in the past because like if I find a photo online that I want to use or look up and maybe I want to see if it's um, in the public domain, Google has this feature where you can go to images.google.com. I believe that's it. You go to images.google.com and if you click the icon that looks like a camera in the search bar, you can upload an image and Google will then go find out, find other places on the web where that image has been used. And even if it's just like a cropped version of that image, it can find the big, the full image. Dun, dun, dun. Annie Marker, that profile picture was indeed a stock photo on Shutterstock on a Spanish language version of Shutterstock. And that was on the the post that was on accounting web. That was the first fake profile you found. Yes. So that I'm realizing she's a sock puppet. And then Olivia Morris, this is the part that was really sad. Turns out that the profile picture being used for Olivia Morris CPA's profile was actually a selfie of Nikki Allwright, 19 years old, Australian, who was killed in a car crash years ago. And the picture was on an Australian news website. So they had taken the photo, created a fake profile, and used that picture on the profile of a dead deceased person. So immediately, of course, I removed that connection. And then I took screenshots of all this stuff and I posted it on LinkedIn last week. And I said, hey, how many fake profiles are you connected to on LinkedIn? You might want to go through and check your connections because you this is what happened to me. Four or five of them. Yeah. I think. So, so I went to the company profile for Cognosol and I found at least uh, one, two, three, four, five, six profiles. But I think there may be as many as a dozen. Uh, I just didn't have that much time to dedicate to doing the image reverse search. So I posted those links to those and said, hey, please report these as fake profiles. Let's get them removed. And I'm happy to say that tons of people saw this post. I think people must have reported them because all of those profiles are now deactivated. I was impressed when I clicked on all of them. I was not connected to any of those people. I don't know how that happened because I accept everybody on LinkedIn. (laughs) And we were just, I was just arguing with you about this, David. I was like, you shouldn't do that. It's not because of the sock puppet thing because that argument happened before, but just because like, you know, you, you shouldn't just accept everybody's invite. Like that lowers the quality of your network. I think the scary thing for me is on this is they're pretending to be a fake person just to get content out there, right? Right. And, and accounting web is like a reputable media company, right? Well, and, and this was and, the part that really shocked me is that um, I, I reported this on Twitter by tagging Seth Feinberg and saying, hey, I think you have a fake profile behind this article on your site. And I, I thought that was like doing him a favor 
because I know Accounting Web is a community source site, so I assumed that they don't vet the authors and that you know you can create a profile and submit an article and it will get posted if it's not blatantly promotional. But then Seth kind of got upset, I think, that I didn't go through private channels to tell him privately. But I mean, you know, I apologize to Accounting Web to Seth. Like that was never was never my intent to call them out so, for having this content on their site. So, so Accounting Web is a hundred percent like anybody can just post. I, I know that there's a way for the guest post, but like that's fundamentally the way it's set up. It's set up as a community source site. There is some sort of review process. You can't just immediately post something up. You have to create a profile and submit it. But you know, how much review can there really be when they have hundreds and hundreds of articles going up every year, right? Okay. So dozens of articles a week. So anyway, yeah, it turned into this big thing. Uh, again, like 30,000 people watched, saw this on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I hope it does some good. I, th- I think we need to all be vigilant about these sock puppet profiles and not letting them into our networks and into our social platforms where they can just spam us and steal our data. And to me, this is very similar to the whole bots issue that we had that we talked about on the show months ago, yeah. right? Is It's lack of trust. And it's not just accounting web. Like just doing a couple of Google searches very quickly, you can find uh, the same people have guest blogged for other proper, other app companies that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they put comments um, on accounting web in other forum posts going back two, three years. So it's, it's very, very deep. The, the one that was, that was kind of entertaining is Ace Cloud Hosting right? Mm-hmm. They have a guest blog post on Ace, Ace Cloud Hosting about most common frauds and how a small business can prevent them. So essentially, <laughs> this, sock, <laughs> this fraudulent sock puppet is posting an article about fraud and how to prevent yeah. it, <laughs> which I thought That's was ironic. a little entertaining. And this yeah. reminds me of uh, this before we were doing the podcast. Uh, this was on Account Text, back when Account Text in the US had their own... Um, media property, if you want to call it that magazine, mm-hmm. whatever blog site, whatever you want to call it. And it was kind of a similar thing. I read the article. I'm like, who's this? I started clicking around. I'm like, I don't know that person. This is interesting. And I could just smell it. You know, you see this and you can just tell there's something not right. Two or three Google searches later, I found they stole the content from some of their blog and they're posting on the account text blog. And so it's kind of that, that same thing where we just have to be more skeptical of all of this stuff because yeah. there's just a lot of crap out there. Yeah, it's not just Twitter, right? Twitter was, I think, where this all started. Lots of fake Twitter profiles, the whole fake news thing, the whole political thing, Russia and the election. It's it's on LinkedIn too, and we have to be vigilant. And crazily enough, on August 27th, right? So what, like the day after this whole thing happened on LinkedIn, you know, I posted that thing on LinkedIn. The New York Times posted an article, and the title is How China Uses LinkedIn to Recruit Spies Abroad. Apparently, Western intelligence officials are saying that Chinese agents are contacting thousands of foreign citizens using LinkedIn, including former government officials, and they're connecting with them and they're trying to basically get information from them, uh, fly them to China for opportunities that don't actually exist and turn them into spies. So like this is not just limited to like an outsourcing company that's trying to get our information and market to us. Like this is this is broad. This is national security here. Yeah. So I think the lesson here is just to listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And as long as David and Blake are real people, you're probably safe. And don't just accept any invite that you get on uh, on LinkedIn. Related article in the Wall Street Journal is called The Next Hot Job Pretending to Be a Robot. This is kind of similar in that it, it's talking about humans stepping in to take over for AI when it fails. We were talking about this a few episodes ago, David, that Google Assistant that can call and book appointments for you. Remember how there was that article about how it's not actually the AI a lot of the time? It's people. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So it's this is because AI is still in its infancy. It can't do everything. And so what these companies are doing, Google has a call center in Ireland. And um, when you use the AI to try and book a restaurant appointment, if the AI gets stuck, can't understand something, a human can jump in and finish the conversation. That's sock puppets, right? There's this human-assisted AI that's going on now. And so this article in the Wall Street Journal cites some specific examples of this human hybrid, human AI hybrid. And one of them I really liked was uh, the real life RoboCop. 
this woman named Mimi works at a company called Cobalt Robotics that makes those. They're like these robots that drive around offices and malls and they're like security bots. Have you seen these pictures of these, David? Uh, I've, like- seen, I've seen them. Uh, San Jose Airport kind of had something like that. I don't know if it was security, though. It was just like a welcome robot. You take your photo with it. So the security ones have cameras and microphones and speakers, and they can patrol around and observe for criminal activity or just secure the environment. And so this woman's job is to monitor multiple of these robots, patrolling them simultaneously. And if any of them sense anything, she can take over for one and control it manually. And so that is going to be the future of a lot of human AI, human powered AI or human assisted AI is the idea that, you know, like maybe there's a self-driving truck that's going to a destination and it runs into a situation where it doesn't know what to do. A human can jump in and, and pilot it remotely past an obstruction or take it off the freeway. And then once it's back on the freeway, it can just keep going because it knows what to do. And that fits in with a lot of these uh, companies in our space that are doing this, right? Where it's AI until it can't do it anymore. And then humans are taking over for bookkeeping, accounting. It's such a fascinating idea. Yeah. So, I mean, that maybe that uh, bot driver, right? Or what, what did you refer this to this as? Oh, human-assisted AI. Human-assisted human AI, yeah. So yeah. that could be good news for uh, approximately 600 people that work for Walmart. So Walmart is uh, going to outsource 600 of the accounting and office jobs. Uh, so this is more, uh, we just talked about this last week at UPS. Yes, more outsourcing of accounting department jobs, the whole, a whole department. And this is a lot. Yeah. yeah, so it's 600. The layoffs will run to January 2020. Employees will be allowed to seek other Walmart jobs. And they can get a severance package, the statement said. But they did not say how many of the employees have a degree in financing or accounting. I don't know how you digest that. If you were an accountant or in the accounting department at Walmart and they're like, hey, find another job at Walmart, but they get rid of the accounting department. Like, what are you going to do? Do the greeter? Well, they got, they're getting rid of the greeters too, I understand. So. Oh, boy. <laughs> but here's an important detail. Well, first, two really important details. This is in Breitbart. Are you, are you reading Breitbart, David? <laughs> no, I'm not reading Breitbart. <laughs> I, 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 I have wealth set up uh, Google searches to key on mm-hmm. keywords. So. Okay. Just checking. Um, also in the story, the jobs are being outsourced to Indian contract workers. The article is focusing on the expansion of the H-1B program uh, for Walmart. So that's, that's interesting because that's, that's not just accounting jobs being outsourced to other Americans. This is talking about jobs in accounting at Walmart being outsourced to a company called Genpak that uses Indian H-1B workers to do this work. Yeah, and that, that company's a, a spinoff of General Electric. And I know even in the past, uh, Intuit worked with some of these companies before in the past as well. It, again, it's another, every week, there's another accounting department that's yeah. having a huge layoff and a lot of it's probably due to automation. So if you have a chance to automate your accounting department, do it now Yeah, before you guys get uh, laid off. Another detail in the article, if the outsourcing saves $25,000 per person payroll costs, then the company will gain $350 million in shareholder value because Walmart's price-to-earning ratio is 25 to 1. I wonder if that's accurate. That's a huge, that's a huge jump. Um, what else we got? Sage Intact is now going to exist in Australia. They've opened us, they've launched in Australia. Yeah, that's big because so far up to the state, Sage Intact which is their flagship cloud product, has only existed in the U.S., right? Yeah. And I don't think there's been a lot cloud-level ERP, enterprise type stuff yet. And even though Australia is dominant, New Zealand's been dominating cloud accounting first, arguably right. a lot of people would argue. And you know, Australia is so forward-thinking, but they haven't had a lot of cloud enterprise-level stuff. So this is really, really big. And it's been covered broadly across the industry, all over um, Australian press, it's been covered in the U.S. press. So it was a pretty big announcement for Sage. Yeah, and this really was, if you ask me, the driving reason why Sage acquired Intact or why Intact wanted to be acquired by Sage was to use that Sage sales engine, global engine, to expand globally. The product now is going to go everywhere. And that's going to put them straight up against NetSuite all over the world. And then this continues to be Sage's best 
growth product. And yep. so, so in other app news, a company called Chargebee has raised a fourteen million dollar Series D round led by Steadview Capital. Are you familiar with Chargebee? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen too much of them. I have seen it. Yes. Yeah. So they are a subscription management and recurring billing tool. I'm thinking they're like Zora. They have 1,800 brands in 53 countries as their customers. So uh, more evidence that the subscription economy continues to grow. Yeah, I have some app news as well. So Avid Exchange, a lot of people have not heard of them. Mm -hmm. Um, They are similar to a Bill.com type play. But higher volume, right? Much higher volume. They're uh, up market. But just like Bill.com is really kind of heading towards partnering with the banks. Right. So if you're a small business owner in theory, instead of having the typical online banking experience to pay your bills, you'd see bill.com inside your online bank website. Mm-hmm. So Avid Exchange kind of uh, is uh, getting banking tools. So they've acquired a company called Banktel. And the Banktel is going to uh, integrate the Avid Pay Network. And what the, the Avid Pay Network has, it also comes with B2B suppliers. So it's kind of a, it's not just get a bill, approve a bill, pay a bill. It's a network of people paying each other all the way through the system. And they've been around about 17 or 18 years. This is coming out people have heard a lot about, but they're, they've, I think, taken on just as much funding as Bill.com and they're going for after the same, very similar space. Yeah, and that's a big deal because what makes Bill.com really successful is that their network is so big. And Banktel says it services over 20% of US banks. So that will help Avid grow their network. Correct. Uh, more app news on my end. Tesorio has raised a $10 million Series A to help companies track their cash flow. This was reported in TechCrunch. This is, uh, I guess, more of like an enterprise or mid-market cash flow uh, management application. I am also not familiar with Tesorio. They call themselves, or at least this TechCrunch article said, you can think of it as a mint for business. It helps businesses aggregate all of their cash flow and then runs AI models over it to predict a company's overall financial health. Current customers include the likes of Viva Systems, Box, and WP Engine, which use the company's systems to, for example, automate their accounts receivable operations to understand when customers are likely to pay. And while there are other tools that help you manage the overall workflow, Tesorio is different because it can pull in data from all sorts of disparate systems systems and create a cash flow forecast based on that automatically. I I don't know. I, I feel like I've seen so many products like this now. Mm-hmm. Um, and may connect to QuickBooks or Zero, right? Like it, if, if that's where your data is at and your bank feeds are there, they can just read the QuickBooks or Zero data. But a lot of these like AR predictive models, cash flow forecasting, it's just another one coming in. Now they're really playing up that AI term yeah. in there. Yeah. So, and in theory... I think, wouldn't this be a true statement? If any cash flow tool forecasts out, if they're predicting something, wouldn't you argue like they also claim they have AI if it's, pre- if it's forecasting or predicting <laughs> something next month? Yeah. And well, that's the thing about AI, right, is the definition is very broad. It just means a computer or an algorithm doing something that would normally require human intelligence. By that definition, so much uh, of what we use computers for is AI. And as soon as something just becomes a given, then we no longer call it AI, right? Like like Google search, being able to decide if my search is for a definition or a website, that's AI. We don't think of it as that because we just come become used to it, right? Yep. So more related app news, not really AI related, but uh, T-Sheets, who uh, was acquired by QuickBooks almost three years ago, they just announced they're going to have a price increase. They're going up to $8 a year per user for all their new accounts. Oh, is it $8, the $8 a year or per month? Per month. Okay. On top of the uh, base fee of 20 My observation in the last three years was time tracking is a race to zero. You'll see an app like, hey, we're $3.50 an employee. Another app will be $3 an employee. Another one's we're 99 cents an employee time tracking apps. And to where I always thought, like, it's going to be a race to zero. It's a commodity. And so, obviously, the T-Sheets integration with QuickBooks is producing enough value where there's confidence to raise the price on this. That people yeah. aren't going to, because I always felt like with the timesheet app, you could just just switch to a different timesheet app. Like it's oh, not you're yeah. not you're not but, you're not locked in the way you are with like other apps. Yeah, but once if you're a big company, once you've trained your employees how to use it, like switching out has so many high costs. That, <laughs> and, yeah, if you're decently sized, yeah. And you know, eight bucks a month per employee for time tracking is like that's a steal. Yeah, in the big and that's why I, I think I've always felt like yeah. you know the 
it solves that small business owner problem because they probably have $200 a week in headaches if they were doing paper timesheets. So it oh, yeah. pays for itself. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and those employees are filling out paper timesheets, right? How much time would that take them every month? <laughs> it would take them like an hour a week sometimes. Are you speaking so. from an accountant who worked in a yeah. accounting from that charge with billable, billable hour? Is this yeah. your expertise? Well, because I would put down 15 minutes. We build in 15 minute increments. So I would bill 15 minutes to doing my timesheet every day. So. I mean, in five days, I'm spending over an hour on my timesheets every week. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and MailChimp, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World. I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. It only takes seconds to install what is essentially an insurance policy against major disaster, or just those small business owners that like to get, quote, creative in the accounting system. Rewind works automatically in the background, capturing all the changes to your QuickBooks Online in real time. If something does go wrong, Rewind is the only service that gives you 100% control of what you need to restore, be it one transaction, multiple transactions, or all the data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Let's see, Box, big public company Box. I remember when they were just a baby, uh, provider of cloud storage, their revenue growth is stalling as reported in the Wall Street Journal. They only had 16% revenue growth in its latest second quarter, which is slower than the increase re- registered in the year ago period. A year ago, sales rose more than 20%. Shares of Box have been down 48% over the past year, and uh, they fell more than 7% in after-hours trading when this was uh, reported. I'm kind of confused by the need for Box or Dropbox. Because they, they're cloud store, they're, they're really cloud file sharing, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of first. And then they've added things like, hey, we'll do enterprise level Microsoft Office, right? So your Microsoft Office docs will be there. You click on them, you can view them, edit your docs there. But if you're just going to pay for Office 365 anyway, it's just use OneDrive, right? right? Or if you're going to be a Google company, you just use Google Drive. So I, I just don't know where those two companies are in the future, where they're going to fit. This is the problem with cloud storage is that it really is more of a feature of a larger suite than it is its own product, in my opinion. And the only reason the box did well is simply because it took Microsoft so long to build a decent OneDrive. And now that OneDrive is good, is there really a need for box anymore? You get it for free. You get it for free. If you have Office 365, you get OneDrive. And if you use Google Apps, you get Google's unlimited storage, which is good. And I think uh, boxes play versus... The beginning, like Dropbox was like the one everybody's using. You use it at home, use it with friends and family. And then Box came in to the enterprise and was like, oh, we're just like Dropbox, but we're more secure for enterprise. Yeah. And so I think that was their kind of their pitch, yep. but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, now, with that said, we're you, I'm using Dropbox for one thing, and it's the podcast. So the software we use to record the podcast has an API connection to Dropbox. And as soon as we're done recording the podcast, it automatically saves it to my Dropbox. But do you but pay for that, Dropbox? I have... I'm not paying for Dropbox. <laughs> right. But it's the only the only thing I use Dropbox for. I pulled everything off of Dropbox. Right. Yeah, I only use the same thing for me. I only use Dropbox for integrations like that. I use Google Drive for everything. I signed up for Google Apps so that I can get unlimited storage and I just stick everything in in Google Drive. I think QuickBooks Online actually had a the accountant edition actually had an integration with Box. I would say Box.net. I know that's going to age me. They're not. It's just Box, right? Yeah. And I think that partnership was either killed or they pulled back on it. Um, accountants weren't using it. So I, this would be interesting for you listeners. How many of you guys are actually using cloud storage, but specifically Box or Dropbox? I know every, a lot of people are using OneDrive. I use OneDrive. I also use Google Drive a lot. But how many people are still using Box or uh, Dropbox? Yeah. So if you invested in <laughs> Box back in the day, or at least before their stock price dropped like 50%, you're probably not very happy. And I've got an article here about why you shouldn't pick stocks. I don't know, David, are you are you an investor? Do you like to pick stocks? Do you do the 
you do that I, thing? I, I want to. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the time and the patience. So I'm just like throw it in my 401k and just whatever happens. So I read a book like 10 years ago, maybe longer than that. What was it? Like The Millionaire Next Door or something like that. I can't remember the name of the title, but remember that book? Yeah. it was all about, well, a big part of it was about investing and picking stocks being a really bad idea. And you should, if you, if you want to be successful, you should go long-term, you should invest in index funds with the lowest cost ratio and just bet on the market, bet on the US economy and don't try to pick winners. Because all the evidence says that nobody is good on a regular basis at picking stocks, not even the professionals. So, like all those funds well, actively trade. No, none of those. Yes, right. <laughs> obviously not the professionals. Now, of course, all of the professionals, all of these hedge fund managers will dispute this, right? And they use amazing marketing to try and get you to buy into their actively managed funds. But the the research shows they are not any better than the index funds. And I'll point you to, if you want to see this, uh, I'll, I'll point our listeners to an article on Money.com called "Vanguard Active Funds Struggle to Beat the Market." This article highlights research from index fund advisors, which looked at Vanguard Investments active funds and compared them to their index funds. Now, if you're not familiar with Vanguard, they're basically like the gold standard when it comes to index funds. They kind of like created or popularized the concept. Yeah, they were. Yeah, Yeah. they were. One of the first ones to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, they actually started with active funds, but then very shortly after they created their first index funds. And those are the ones that are hugely popular. They have very, very low expense ratios, right? And that's something that's really important to know is that like in actively managed funds, the the people who manage them take a good chunk. They charge a fee every year, right? So even if they beat the market, you still have to pay their fee. And so you may end up making less. Um, and so you, a lot of times it's 1% of the total asset value. So this study, I'm not going to get into the details, but it looked at 57 actively managed Vanguard funds with at least five years of a track record through 2018 to gauge their alpha or returns in excess of benchmarks. They found that the funds in the study had a slightly better than 50-50 chance of beating their Morningstar assigned benchmarks. So these are the benchmarks are the funds that they're trying to beat, right? The S&P 500 or whatever. But the odds got worse when the authors controlled for risk, trying to distinguish between reckless gambles and repeatable management expertise. And by screening out dumb luck, the authors found that only two of 57 funds consistently outperformed their benchmarks. The conclusion was that all of Vanguard's active strategies could be replicated quote, more cost effectively through the use of index funds, unquote. So there you go. Don't don't try to pick stocks, at least with most of your money, right? You can have fun with some of your money, but most of the time, just uh, stick them in uh, appropriately balanced index funds and let it ride out. Or only buy stuff you really, really, really know. Right. If, if you know you're a cloud accountant and you're into this space and you know, hey, these companies are winners, Invest in those ones you know because well, you're going to know yeah. before the rest of the market if it's you know if the software's getting janky, it's not working as well anymore. You you pull out. Well, and only do that though if you can diversify enough, right? Like, don't go all in on a company that you know because who knows what could happen to them, right? Like, there's so many unknowns in life. <sighs> Why didn't you tell me this before I went all in on Uber? <laughs> Dang it! You should have told me these things anyway. So. Maybe maybe these investors need a fix, right? Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll show you where I'm going with this a little bit. So I have a couple articles that are all a little bit related. Mm-hmm. So the Journal of Accountancy had an article, what to do when the cloud goes down. And essentially, they want, they're focusing on um, contingency, contingency plans, right? The CCH um, went because down. Because of some of the recent outages. Insane so the ransomware CCH attack. Outage, right? Centrum. We talked about. Went down, cloud provider. And having plans is all fine. Great. Whatever. But. So the quote I want to call out is uh, something that I brought up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the InSync. And I'll read this. This is from David C. Slack. He says, whether they're a true cloud provider, software that was designed for the cloud is more secure than software that was built in-house and moved to the cloud later on. Legacy applications that were moved to the cloud or that use an in-house server are vulnerable to ransomware. SaaS, software as a service, multi-tenant solutions don't operate in the same way, so they're more resistant. Yeah, that's exactly what we were saying. So this is what we've been yeah. saying. So so now it's in the Journal of Accountancy. <laughs> Good. Like it's not just on the Cloud Accounting Podcast. It is right there for everybody to see. Now, I wish that quote had come up at the beginning of the article because there's an unfortunate quote here from Jim Bork, who 
I've never met him. I don't know who he is. He's the partner in charge of information technology at Witham Smith and Brown in New Jersey. And he says, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when an outage will occur and you need to anticipate that. The same malware outage could happen to any of the cloud software providers. It's the nature of the cloud. It's going to happen. And I think that's ridiculous. It's not inevitable. And in, and like you just said, David, depending on the technology in use, whether it's old technology that has been replatformed to cloud or if it's true cloud, it makes a huge difference in the security. And and so like we shouldn't just accept this as a given. And we we we've really beat this horse, right? That yeah. I, I'm skeptical on these legacy companies that are just pushing things to the cloud and it's still just a Windows box and it, it's right. that arguably it's no more secure than anybody else's laptop. But but the true SaaS apps are fundamentally more secure. Architected to be more secure. Yeah. Now a few of the we should say that like some of these contingency plans, like things that you should do are really good and important in this article. So a great tip is back up your data off of the cloud. Just because it's in the cloud doesn't mean that it's being backed up. So either verify that the provider is mirroring it to offsite disconnected servers or make sure that you're doing that. And then consider business continuity insurance, which apparently is affordable even for smaller firms, right? So if they're, if your cloud provider does go down, you have insurance to pay. And then also make sure that you request, especially of larger providers, they should have these reports. Find out whether the vendor has a SOC 2 report and a SOC for cybersecurity report, SOC. Those reports will, if they don't have them, then be a little more skeptical uh, as to whether or not they've gone through a proper audit. And thanks for uh, considering and talking about the insurance. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm headed down a path here, Blake. Headed down a path to your guaranteed investment return. Oh, really? So ransomware. Mm-hmm. Again, Krebs uh, on security. It's a great headline, right? It's ransomware bites dental data backup firm. I love that headline. And it's Percy Soft is a cloud management provider for digital dental records. Mm-hmm. They operate an online data backup service called DDS Safe, and they archive uh, medical records, charts, insurance documents, and other personal information for doc- uh, dental practices across the U.S. So they got hit on the Monday of August 26th, and uh, their encrypted dental records for all—I'm sorry, for some, but not all of the practices that are using DDS Safe. Oh man! So it caught my eye because before when we talked about the uh, that dentist in Florida that got ransomware and he was on the news. Do you remember that a few weeks back? So I kind of scrolled through the article and it's fine. There's not much in there, but at the very bottom of the article, ProPublica recently published a piece last week and there's a link. So this Krebs and Security led me to this ProPublica article. Mm -hmm. And essentially the premise of this ProPublica article, the extortion economy, how insurance companies are fueling a rise in ransomware attacks. Wait, so yeah, how are the insurance, so insurance companies are making more, more ransomware attacks? Well, what's happening is, is because people are insured. So you just, you just read the Journal of Accountancy. Yeah. It told people buy insurance to get insured, right. buy insurance for ransomware attacks. So what's happening now? The cyber criminals aren't stupid. If you're going to target companies with ransomware, who are you going to target? The ones who have insurance that are going to pay the out. The ones that have insurance, <laughs> exactly. And so, the in the onus isn't on the insurance company to stop the criminal, right? Like they're just there to help you get back in business. Right. But the attackers see there's deep pockets. Yeah. And insurance payouts can be great. And so this vicious cycle has kind of started to occur now. And there's a quote in the article. One cybersecurity company executive said his firm had been told by the FBI that hackers are specifically extorting American companies that they know have cyber insurance. So that's actually, oh, that's creepy. So buy cyber insurance and that might make you a bigger target. Yeah, oh, certainly something that's to consider. That's so, so that's sort of the, the, the fix, right? Yeah. So you want to uh, there's there's way guaranteed ways to make money here. Oh man, and, and much other ways instead of picking your own stock. And then there's a third article from ProPublica also that's a little bit more of a magazine deep read mm-hmm. that just talks about uh, ransomware in general with small businesses, and it's a super deep, more of a magazine style article that's with graphics and everything else, multimedia type experience. It's worth checking out as well. But I just thought it was interesting that people with insurance are the ones getting targeted more than people without insurance. Well, so that deep dive, it's called the trade secret firms that promised high tech ransomware solutions almost always just pay the hackers. That is going to be in the show notes. So check that out. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Let's talk about what accounting even is, David. 
what do accountants do in your mind? Well, people get upset if you say anything bookkeeping related, but <laughs> ultimately they, they keep a tally of the financial doings of an entity. So, okay, that's, that's good. Uh, so, you know, but that is bookkeeping, right? Accounting, uh, financial accounting, right? Uh, what else do we do? We do tax, audit. Tax and audit are kind of the, the two big ones, right? Along with client accounting services now. It's always been a kind of a question. What do accountants do, right? The joke is... Track their time. <laughs> track their time. The joke is that uh, the general public seems to think that every CPA knows how to do taxes, right? Even though only a fraction of us do. The reason I asked you that question, David, is because our friend, friend of the show, Donnie Shimamoto, CPA, wrote an article that appeared in CPA Trendlines that I really liked. The title is, Accounting Services Aren't What You Think They Are. Donnie starts out by giving kind of a history, a historical view of the definition of accounting services based on his illustrious career. He talks about how in the late 1990s, the AICPA and the CPA state societies collaborated on a project called the CPA Vision Project in which they ID'd some core services of the profession. And here's what they said in the 90s, that accounting services included assurance and information integrity, technology services, management consulting and performance management, financial planning, and international services. Now, notice that tax and bookkeeping are not mentioned, uh, and audits are mentioned under the parent term assurance. So that, that was the definition in the 90s. Then when they reconvened to do this again in 2010, Donnie Shimamoto was a part of that. He was part of the uh, CPA Horizons 2025 advisory panel. And they deliberated, and they actually back then decided not to define it. They said, the services provided by CPAs have become so varied and diverse that the concept of core services is no longer representative of the profession. So we, don't, we no longer actually have an official definition of what accounting services encompasses. Well, because you see accounting firms are doing IT technology consulting, they're doing app consulting, they're doing HR type functionality now. All sorts of business services, right? Yep. So yep. Donnie has been clearly thinking about this for a while. And he says in the article, well, if we don't have a definition, you know, that doesn't sit well with me. How do we describe what we do? It either means that we don't do anything or we do everything and neither answer feels right. So then when he was trying to revamp his website, he came up with an answer. So I'll share this with you, Dave, and you can tell me what you think. Um, he says, uh, and actually he was inspired by Simon Sinek's Start With Why video that you can find on YouTube, great video. And he said, let's not describe our services as what we do. Let's describe them as why people would want us to help them. And so he came up with three whys for his firm. Number one is peace of mind. Number two, vision and clarity, helping clients visualize their ideas and clarify how to make it a reality. And then three is hope. Clients working with us experience a feeling of hope because of the way we provide our services. So peace of mind, vision and clarity, and hope. And that is uh, to Donnie what you know core accounting services really encompass. And then whatever skills you have to help make that happen. So if you happen to have tax skills and bookkeeping skills and IT skills, whatever you need to do, you can do that. Support yeah. those three th three things. Yeah. So it's it's not what you do that matters. It's it's why you do it. And I like that. I really enjoyed that. So I wanted to share that. So you could have no skills and just you're really good at giving hope. <laughs> That's isn't that business coaching? <laughs> business coaching. <laughs> uh, I will say no more. I don't, I'm out of articles this week. Do you have anything else? Oh, I got a long list, but we may not have time for all of them. So let me see what is, uh, what's really good. Uh, here's one that I like. Speaking of hope and those softer skills, Accounting Today published an article called CFOs Seek Candidates with More Tech Skills, Survey Finds. It's a survey about what CFOs are having trouble finding, the rarest skills in accounting job candidates. Uh, and it was done by Robert Half, a poll of 1,100 CFOs at companies of 20 or more employees across the United States. And believe it or not, it wasn't soft skills that's the hardest thing to find. Tech expertise came in on top. Over 30% of CFOs say that tech expertise is the rarest skill in accounting job candidates, followed, followed by functional job skills, then leadership, then soft skills, and then culture fit. So I posted on LinkedIn, kind of tongue-in-cheek, I said, Good news, you can skip those soft skill courses and get straight to the software because apparently tech skills are what CFOs are looking for. 
it's interesting because I feel like the last decade has been telling accountants, like, you need to get soft skills. You need to know how to communicate with people. Yeah. And, and, and either A, they've all gotten them now, or B, they still don't have them. And maybe accountants and people are just correct. They didn't need them the whole well, time. I think it depends where you are in your career. And what you are aiming to do. If you're aiming to be a CFO, then yeah, soft skills are really important because the CFO's biggest job is communicating the story of the financial picture of the company to everybody in the company and the stakeholders and everything else, right? Investors. But if you're just a staff accountant, like soft skills are not what's going to drive your career success at that early stage. It's going to be technical expertise, right? So being, if you're in a company where you're doing gap reporting, it's, you know, being good at gap and, and then also being good at tech. Right. Or being good at both. Right. Or in, in these days, tech is so important. You can be just good at that. Like me. Right. You can be know enough gap to pass CPA exam, but I, I never do it. Right. I don't I don't need to know how to do revenue recognition. I just need well, I need to be able to learn enough so that I can implement a revenue recognition platform. Well, you would come in and you'd be like, hey, I can do a reverse image search on Google. Exactly. You'd be like, boom. Yeah. Job for you. <laughs> you just beat every other candidate. So I, I like that survey. Um, oh. what else? What else? Here's a weird one. Liberty Tax is acquiring Sears hometown outlets for $132.9 million. Like full circle, right? Because if I remember as a kid, H&R Block used to be inside of Sears. Oh, was it? I don't right? know. So you could, yeah, it's like you you'd go to Sears, right? And you get the family photos at Sears and like you could get your taxes done at Sears. You get to hang out in the tool section with your dad at Sears. Like you could do everything mm-hmm. at Sears. And now full circle, a tax company is now buying what's left of Sears. Well, and I don't even know like if the plan is to put Liberty Tax inside of Sears because they also earlier this month bought the Vitamin Shop store chain. So Liberty Tax is, <laughs> they're going into completely unrelated businesses now. Well, I think Liberty Tax, their, their, their specialty is franchising. Right. So they're and so they're broadening to to run multiple franchise businesses that have nothing to do with tax, and I wonder if this is because they see the writing on the wall that uh, which we've been talking about this for months, right? With the success of Intuit, TurboTax, and TurboTax Live, the only people that are going to these retail tax shops are old. So like the the business will not exist in twenty years. Yeah, because I think we we've looked at we, it's like eleven years we started the the numbers. Yeah, just, millennials are not using fran- or yeah, these years, franchises yeah. are not attracting millennials. It's done right. So this is a div- not not a strategic play to help their tax business. This is a div- diversification. They're play. just getting out of it. I think. Interesting. Yeah, that's my theory. That's one to watch. Yeah. That's they that didn't say that of course, but um, here's the quote from their chairman, Andrew Lawrence, he said, we are excited about the acquisition of Sears outlet and its unique model that offers its customers in-store and online access, online access to outlet value products across a broad assortment of merchandise categories while serving as a valuable supply chain partner for its vendors. This is a continuation of Liberty Tax's strategy of identifying and acquiring franchised or franchisable businesses while also building scale at attractive acquisition valuations. It's an exciting time for Liberty Tax and its shareholders as we begin to recognize the strength in our future-facing franchise business model. Yeah, so they're they're kind of becoming an equity company that's buying yeah. other franchise. It's 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 an interesting jump. Yeah, and if you like picking stocks, definitely short Liberty Tax and <laughs> um, and all the other storefront tax uh, stacks tax shops, right? Although uh, this is not financial advice, don't take my advice. I'm really it's not it's not good advice. Um, yeah. So we do have some good things. Okay. We have reviews. Oh, yeah. We didn't read them in the beginning of the show. We can read them now, though. Yeah. We, we, we jumped in right into uh, the uh, the fake profiles, the sock <laughs> puppets. So all the reviews, though, I have checked them. None of our reviews are from a sock puppet. Oh, good. That's how you know you've made it, though, right? Like, if we get, like, 100 reviews in one week from sock puppets, like, we know we're... Well, what we're, we should be doing is setting up our own sock puppets and giving ourselves lots of fake reviews, David. Like, that. that's uh, yeah. how you game the system. To me, that is just so much I work because they were re- the, the sock puppets were like re- putting comments on each other's articles. Yeah. I'm like, who has that much time? Just outsource it, you know. <laughs> wow! What? Wow! 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 All right, let's 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 you let's read them up. I'll let you take the first Apple review here. All right, so this is five stars from Destructo Mo. Interesting content is the headline. This is a great podcast for industry news. I would characterize this content as stuff you might learn at a trade show or industry event, except you get it each week. That's from Joel Slattis, CEO of timesheets.com. Thank you, Joel. 
And this one is from Podchaser. It's from Jungle Boy. Five stars. This is a great podcast for staying current on the trends in accounting. David and Blake make a great combo to, to discuss current business events. Kenji said, perfect blend of accounting industry news, witty banter, and investigative journalism. I never miss this podcast. Juliet Aurora. Two of the brightest minds in our industry as we get a peek into their brains through this podcast. Always relevant, thought-provoking, interesting, delivered with humor. A great resource, whether you're new to the industry or a longtime veteran. Thank you, Juliet. Amanda Aguilard said, Blake and David constantly strive to bring the most relevant issues in cloud accounting to the listeners. This podcast is a great resource for accountants and bookkeepers just dipping their toes in the cloud, but it's also a must-listen for those of us who've been around for a while. Love it. And Cheryl T. Martin Five stars. The Cloud Accounting Podcast is the best podcast for staying up to date with what is happening in the accounting world today. David and Blake are not afraid to ask the questions that raise the eyebrows and awareness on issues that affect this industry. They are just what we need to keep conversations going. Thank you, Cheryl. Dave Olson said, the Cloud Accounting Podcast is my favorite source of news and information about the cloud accounting industry. Blake and David are great guys in person and authentic on the podcast. They know their stuff and aren't afraid to ask tough questions and address controversial issues. Thank you for your efforts to make our community better. And thank you, Dave, and everyone who left us a review for all your help in spreading the good word about the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And if you want to leave your own review, you can do that at David. You can go to podchaser.com or you can do that in your Apple, iTunes, podcast player, whatever Apple's calling it this week. And if you want to get the show notes emailed to you automatically or a link to the show notes, I should say, head over to blakeoliver.com, click on the blue subscribe banner at the top of my website, enter your email address, and you'll get an email the day after an episode drops with a link to the show notes. So you can go and check out the articles we're talking about uh, on the show. Oh, and uh, come see us. We are going to be in Boston. My I, I update, like after last week, my jury duty. Oh, yeah. Uh, what happened, I, David? I, I'm pausing here for a second because I'm a little frustrated. But so I finally check. I have to wait till like Friday night at 6 p.m. to check if I'm on jury duty. And it says, oh, the courts are closed all next week. You're relieved of your jury duty. <laughs> I'm like, why'd you even schedule me for? So, <laughs> so I got on JetBlue. I bought a plane ticket. I'm booked. I will see everybody in Boston at Account Tax this week. That's great. Well, uh, we're going to have fun. Come see us at booth. I think it's what? 1008? 1008? Yes. I think we're facing food, the snack bar. So oh, sweet. Get your, get your hot great. dog and chips and come by and uh, check out a recording. Swing by, say hi. If we're recording, you can snoop on us. And if we're not, we'd love to chat with you. Come get a sticker. Yeah. Come get a free podcast sticker to put on your laptop or your iPad or... Um, your face. Uh, we should get temporary tattoos too, David. Of our faces? Yeah, of us, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of the podcast logo, but yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll add to the list of uh, cool things to get for conferences. So if you are not going to go to Account Tax, like if somebody's not going to make it to mm-hmm. Account Tax, how would they get in touch with you? You can tweet at me. I am at Blake T. Oliver, and you're also welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just make sure that you add a note when you connect with me so I know that you are not a sock puppet. Yes, say not a sock puppet. Yes. That's probably the best route. And you can get a hold of me um, reluctantly. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. It seems like that's where lots and lots of people of the connections have been coming in lately. Uh, but also on Twitter, I'm at David Leary on all the socials. Yep. And find and follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, David, have a great rest of your Labor Day. I'll see you in two days. See two you days, soon. Four days, whatever it is. All right. Bye. Bye.